Did you know that in the book of Revelation, when John tells the church of Laodicea that they are not hot or cold, but lukewarm, that he is not saying that you are to be for or against Jesus, but definitely not on the fence. Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and this has become one of my favorite passages of Scripture to preach on, because if you grew up evangelical Baptist world like I have, you've heard that a lot, that you're supposed to be hot for Jesus, cold against Jesus, but don't you be lukewarm, don't you be sitting on the fence which is absolutely not true. That's not what that passage is talking about. When you dig into the historical context of Laodicea being landlocked and not having any fresh water, the interpretation changes. And you actually get more of an accurate understanding of what this passage is actually talking about when you get into the historical context of it because Laodicea was landlocked they didn't have any fresh water but they had aqueducts and they were able to run fresh hot water from one location and fresh cold water from another nearby city into the town but by the time it got to Laodicea the water was lukewarm John's not saying to be for or against but don't you be a fence rider what John is showing is that in the minds of the Laodicean church, they wanted hot water because hot water has benefits. They wanted cold water because cold water has benefits. Lukewarm water has no benefits. It's just kind of there. What John is writing to the church is not that you get to be for or against Jesus, but instead that they have a divine purpose as a church hot water, cold water, kind of like the body of Christ when you get into Paul. But they are no longer fulfilling their divine purpose because Laodicea was a very rich community. They relied on their riches more than anything else and did not have any needs. They relied on themselves rather than God, so they became lukewarm in their reaching to the community is being the church. Also, when you stop to think about it for a whole 30 seconds, since when do Christians have the option to be against Jesus? That's not how Christianity works. As Christians, we are for Jesus, period. Some of us are hot water, some of us are cold water, and either one of those is fine. This is one of my favorite sermons to preach now, ever since I got this lesson. Ever since I finally understood this lesson a while ago. I think it was back in college was the first time. After years of hearing this other understanding of this passage, that it's like, you know, for or against Jesus, don't be a fence rider. After 20 years of hearing that, it was I was like in my 20s when I finally heard this actual historically correct interpretation of the passage. So it's become one of my favorites to preach. I've preached it probably more than any other sermon that I have preached. So I, I would not be surprised if it ends up here on the show at some point as a sermon upload. I bring this all up, though, because this was how 
Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes by O'Brien and Richards, two authors for this book. This is how the book opens. It opens talking about this passage and this, you know, interpretation that has come into the pop culture of Christianity, this understanding and the explanation that I just gave you for a more historical understanding of this passage. And and this is how the book opens. And when I read that, I knew I was in for a good read. This is by far, I've reviewed two other books on here before, and this is by far the best book that I have sat down and done a full book review for even though uh, Larry Crabbs, the pressure off, pr- the pressure is off. Excuse me, was the most popular episode last year, and actually continues to be one of the most popular episodes of the show. Every once in a while, get some more downloads on that one. Larry Crab man, popular guy, I guess. Anyway, <clears throat> misreading scripture with Western eyes. It's a good it was a good read. It was a good way to end this class on. It was a good note to end this class on because I wrote this we had to do a forum post about what did we think of the book. And it was one of the, the one of the only times this whole class that we actually had to talk about the books. We had four books we had to read for this class. This was the only one it was at the very end that we had to talk about it. And My big, the thing I wrote about it is that over the past two years, I don't want to get into this too much. I'm trying to save this for the two year anniversary show in March. But in the past almost two years that we've been doing this show, been doing seminary, I I have not felt intellectually challenged for the most part. Other than this book and a few other instances, again, I'll. Well, this is this is a bigger conversation that's going to happen in March on the two-year anniversary show, where I'm going to talk about was seminary worth it. So, stay tuned for a fuller thought on all of that. But for now, I want to say that this book was definitely worth reading because right off the bat, it hits this note of there are passages of scripture that we have misunderstood. And here's a really big example of it. It also challenged me intellectually. And one of the uh, third reasons I really like this book that I could tell that I was going to really like this book is because one of the authors, his first name is Brandon. And so, you know, you know, a guy with the name of Brandon is a reliable fellow. But I guess I should slow down a little bit. We're almost or it's seven minutes into this episode already and uh, haven't really done the full intro yet. So again, welcome back to the show. This is where I talk about the stuff that I'm studying in grad school as I finish my Master of Arts in Ministry Studies. And this is the finale to Intercultural Ministry Studies series that we've been doing the past, I think it's the fifth week we've been doing this Um it's been good. It's been a challenging class. Definitely better than the leadership class I just took. Uh, definitely better than ministry administration. It's one of the top. It, it's one of the top classes. Classes, I would say. Uh, a lot of good. I would say if there was anything that this class 
was really good at that's different from the other classes is that the forum post discussions were really good. Usually it's a chore to have to do the forum posts, which is why I put up a celebratory post on Facebook the other day that I had finally finished my last one for this class. Uh, but there was there was a lot of good discussion, a lot of good discussion going on these past few weeks as we've been doing this class. Um, but for now, let's uh, let's focus in here on this book. So the purpose of this book, uh, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, is to show, we've talked about this a few times already, that there are times when Scripture confronts a culture, okay? You run up against something that Scripture directly calls out, no, you should not be doing that. You know, you get into like, a, I think in a good example of that, like a biblical example would be First Corinthians with a lot of the issues that were going on in the church then. Uh, a lot of cultural issues were going on in the church at that time. So I would say that would be a good example. I think James touches on that a lot too by showing preference to, uh, or not showing preference to the people in your congregation who are richer against those who are poorer. You know, you see this off and on in scripture itself when the epistles, the authors of the epistles are directly confronting a culture. So scripture confronts culture. It talks about how scripture confronts culture, but it also talks about how uh, there are times when culture interprets scripture differently than other cultures. And there are times when that is fine, even within the same culture, just divided out over generations. Scripture may be interpreted and applied differently than it has been in different eras of the same culture. And then there are times when cultures interpret Scripture and they miss it or they miss part of it or they misinterpret it altogether. And it's because we read into it, and this is where it really starts to hit home for us, is we read into it our cultural mores. If anything, I would say another reason why you need to finish listening to this episode and go get the book is because this book really challenges the concept of the plain reading of scripture. I, I'm pretty sure I've brought this up before about how this is like one of those Christian cliches that we have running throughout the history of Christianity, at least here in America, since probably the 40s of, or so of all we need is the plain reading of scripture. If the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense that you can just read scripture and you get it. And the Christian faith is simple enough for a child to believe, but there is still complexity to it. And one of those complexities is the fact that we are reading a book that, at least for the New Testament, is 2,000 years old. Add in the Old Testament, that's a couple more thousands of years old, written to a completely different context with completely different language nuances, understanding of languages that we don't have. This is one of the big things that they talk about is how Greek and Aramaic language works 
and how the speakers think using their language is different than how we Westerners speaking modern day English think and structure our languages. This whole concept of the plain reading of scripture is good enough. It This book shows that it, it, it really isn't. It really isn't. Historical context matters a lot. Literary criticism matters a lot in trying to understand what the text is actually saying. This whole, you know, I probably said this during communication and ministry that, uh, you know, you, we let the text speak for itself, right? We let the text speak for itself in preaching. In order to do that properly, we have to really dig in there sometimes. Sometimes we just run into these situations where we just miss details. Maybe it doesn't change the interpretation, but it misses details. How does the parable of the prodigal son go? You know that story, right? The story of the really rich guy who has two sons. The one's a hard worker. The other one is just kind of like, dad, give me your inheritance. Give me my inheritance. I'm good. So then he leaves and he goes and he squanders all his money on parties and women and blah, blah, blah. Then he's broke and he, you know, goes and gets this job working with a pig farmer, but like he's not even fed. He has to eat the pig slop. And then finally he comes to his realization that he could just go work for his dad and at least get some good meals out of it. Because if his dad accepts him, because, you know, even the servants to his dad, at least they get fed well and he returns home and but on his way home the dad has been out there waiting for him to come back the whole time and they reconnect and you know the big celebration and the other brothers mad about it and okay you you know the story right okay you don't know the story because <laughs> the book talks about that there was a study done where a group of American seminary students, American Christians were told, were asked to read the story several times over and then to do what I just did, reiterate the story, write it back out. And there is a detail that the majority, we're talking like 80 to 90% of the people absolutely missed. And I withheld from this version. And you're trying to rack your brain right now of what did I miss? Well, it's interesting is that when you do the same study, but in Russia, they don't miss this detail. That after the prodigal son spends all of his money and he's broke, and then he goes to work for the pig farmer, right in between there, there's a little note in the verse that there's a famine going on. And when I read that, I was like, there is? <laughs> I'm 28 years old. I've been in the church my entire life. I couldn't remember it at all. And sure enough, there is a mention that there is a famine going on. Now, what's interesting is that the majority of people in Russia who have experienced famine, which means if you run this type of a study in other countries where they also have experienced famine, you'll probably get the same result. Probably, but it was specifically done with the church with Christians in Russia. They remembered that there was a famine in the story. So what's interesting is that for here in America, 
our interpretation of this story is that it is the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the guy who wastes everything. The fact that there's a famine going on is a detail that can be avoided or can be missed and it doesn't change anything about the story. For people in Russia who do arrive at the same conclusion, we still end at the same spot. For people in Russia, this is a story about God's provision even for those who don't deserve it. For even the, this is a story about God's provision for his people. Because not only does he squander all of his money, there's also a famine, which means everybody is on hard times right now. Everybody is in need. And it's the son that repents and turns to the father. The father provides and accepts him back. So it's two different paths, two different understandings, two different mindsets, same destination, but we're the ones missing part of the story. Interesting. So there's times like that. There's times like that in this book where they just point out a simple, like, we just kind of miss it. This is a lot of what happens in this book book is all these instances of when we kind of miss the point. Then there's instances where we really just, we miss the point. We miss the point at all, completely. Uh, probably one of the biggest examples of that is the section on our understanding of wealth versus the original audience's understanding of wealth. Here in America, our understanding of wealth in the Bible is that Money is fine. Make your money. Make your dough. Run your hustle. Buy merchandise on the My Seminary Life shop. <laughs> Just going to put that in there. You know, run your hustle, make your money, but don't idolize your money. You know, don't don't put your money above God. That's our understanding of wealth because we're very pro-wealth here in America. It's capitalism. That's what we're about. To the original audience, though, this doesn't have anything to do with that. Passages of scripture that warn against wealth aren't warning against putting your faith, aren't warning against putting your faith in your wealth. It's about the sin of accumulation of wealth, the accumulation of resources. That's what the problem is. But we miss that. We miss that constantly. We always turn these passages into don't idolize your wealth. Whereas in the ancient Near Eastern understanding, to accumulate wealth is to withhold from other people. That's part of the reason, I would say, that when you get to the book of Acts and the church is forming, you see this little mention that people had all things in common. They were, brace for impact, distributing their wealth. They were treating each other as equals. And I know this sounds like the communism and the socialism and the bad things, but that was the thought process back then. The evil isn't 
just mere idolizing of your wealth. It's accumulating wealth. Another time that we just completely miss the idea is passages of scripture that talk uh, about modesty for women's for women, how women are supposed to dress modestly. We always take it and turn it to mean modesty sexually. This is like one, you know, these passages in like oh, I'm drawing a blank. I think it's in First Timothy, and then also in First Corinthians. I think is where these are at. Um, you know, we take these passages and these are the ones that we uphold in youth group for why girls should, you know, cover up every inch of their body with fabric because the Bible says to be modest in your, in how you dress. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about economic modesty. They're talking about not flaunting your wealth with your, how you dress that's what they mean by modesty. So it's these gen. I'm I'm looking down at the clock, and we are already almost out of time. So barely, we're barely scratching the surface of this book, which is ironic because they break this book down into three sections: the tip of the iceberg, you know, the part you see above the water, below the tip, which is like the middle section of the iceberg, and then. Like they have a third section, which is supposed to be like the very deepest part. And that's supposed to break down like our cultural understandings that we read into the text of scripture. This is a great book. I cannot talk about, I cannot talk about it and do it justice in one 25 to 30 minute episode. So please go get the book, read it for yourself. If you need another reason why it's because some of you out there are already reading it. I've mentioned that I'm reading this. I mentioned weeks ago that I was reading this book for the class, that this has sparked many conversations with my wife and my friends. People have picked up the book. I'm just, it's encouraging. Podcasting, I talked about it recently when I posted some stats from my Spotify Unwrapped this year. Podcasting can be very discouraging because you don't get a lot of feedback back. It is a lot of just cold numbers on a screen that you have to kind of like, I think this is working. But then something like that happens. And I don't know, gives you some hope. <laughs> That's a John Mulaney reference. It, it, it just gives you a little bit of like, it, it gives me a little bit of like a, hey, I think I might be doing something here. So I appreciate you all. For that, thanks for coming along with me on this ride, talking about different cultures, talking about the importance of getting past our own culture as we misread it into scripture and having ears to listen to how other people read scripture, how other people interpret scripture, how other people live their lives. But that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please consider reviewing the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend that you think might get something out of it or just tell them about the book. Just it's it's almost Christmas. Just go buy them the book. And speaking of Christmas coming up next week on the show. That's right, folks. It's the 2022 holiday special. If you didn't catch last year's holiday special, uh, 
This is now an annual tradition because it happened twice. We can call it an annual tradition now. I talk about the year, uh, recap a little bit, some of the highlights from the past calendar year. You, this year has been a year of growth for sure for the show. Very excited to talk about it. And also, you do not want to miss this episode. I know <laughs> I know. I did not do us a favor by scheduling it on Christmas Eve, but don't, don't sleep on this episode because there are many announcements coming for 2023. They're all little presents for you. So listen to the episode. You'll be the first ones to find out before they start rolling out on social media. A um, lot of announcements on this show. And hopefully there's been a little scheduling conflict, but hopefully everyone's favorite Joshua Knoll, the one and the only Joshua Knoll, will be on the show to talk with me about why do they celebrate Christmas in Narnia? It's a interesting thought because when you think about it for a whole 30 seconds, it is kind of weird that Christmas happens in a magical place. And also Father Christmas is there, which is strange for a very pro-Jesus thing. So we're going to talk about it. I don't know if we're going to arrive at a conclusion or not, but he will be here. Hopefully, if not, I guess you'll just have to listen to me talk about it. Let's hope Josh is here. Uh, as always, you can go down to the description of this episode to uh, find links to all the important things. Feel free to reach out email seminarylife at gmail.com if you have any questions for me always open to the idea of doing a mailbag episode so shoot some questions in and that is it with that we are done with intercultural ministry the series we are done with school not really i have like a page and a half left on my paper but it will be done by sunday night when it is due thank you for listening i'll catch you all next week for the party and remember Theology is for everybody, so keep on studying.